This is episode 102 of the Rising Man podcast with Julian Subic. I am every man, and every man is me. Ho, 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 and happy holidays to all you risers out there. With Christmas past, the new year's upon us, tis the season to reflect on the year behind and the year ahead. Many changes and exciting upgrades to the Rising Man movement coming up for you. I mentioned them last week, but here's a quick breakdown once again. All Rising Man content, events, and information will now be housed over at risingman.org. Yes, that includes podcast downloads and info to all of them. For anything Rising Man related, make sure you go to risingman.org from now on. It's a work in progress, so bear with us. Excuse our appearance. (laughs) If you're a man without a men's circle, wait no longer. Join the Rising Man Fire Circle for just $67 a month. You get access to your own men's team, monthly training calls with me, guest presenters, and so much more. And lastly, if you're feeling the call to ceremonially mark your passage into manhood, to clarify your purpose, and to create lifelong brotherhood with nine other men, apply to participate in our four-day vision fast called Compass. There's more info and link to apply over at risingman.org. So go check it out. All right. My guest for today is Julian Subic. Julian is a gifted writer and creative contributor to the Rising Man movement. He has a fascinating history, including growing up in eastern Pennsylvania, running for Congress, moving across the country with nothing but his car and essential belongings, living in said car for two months, and building a new life here in California. As a man deeply committed to his own growth and discovery, as well as the growing men's movement, Julian has a story that every man can relate to. In this episode, we highlighted Julian's discovery of men's work and his fast out in Death Valley with our Compass crew last spring. We also discussed why every man is his own guide, savior, and rock. You don't need other people to show you the way, the truth, and wisdom is within you. The value of minimalist rites of passage and how a ceremonial fast can lead to a greater sense of personal power and identity. We talked about why comparison robs men of their power and why you don't need a big following to validate your message. There are a million ways to be a man, but we often get trapped in recreating someone else's story. So we discussed the prevalence of shame around men having desires or sexual experiences with other men ancestors, rites of passage, and the story of Rattlesnake Speaks. This and so much more without further ado, Julian Subic. All right, Rising Man family got another special man on the show today, one of my close brothers, a name that you may recognize. My bro, Julian Subic, one of the members of our Rising Man Power Squad. How you doing, bro? I'm doing amazing, Jetty. Thanks for having me. It's a special one because we're sitting right across the table from each other this time. So I usually say this is that we're having a virtual cup of coffee, but right now we're actually face-to-face, eye-to-eye. So good to have you up here, man, and thanks for being on the show. One of the things that we wanted to really dive into in this episode and I wanted to talk to you about is your experience in entering into the field of men's work. Also, you recently came out with us and fasted with our first round of Compass back in the spring. And to give the men and the women who are listening a firsthand experience of somebody who stepped into this world and has been experiencing it with every footstep that you walk. Really for the past, how many years has it been now? Two years since I found men's work. Yeah. Not even. Yeah, so you're on the fast track, man. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Straight to the top. So let's do this. You know how this goes, man. I'm asking you right off the bat. What's the difference between a boy and a man? The difference between a boy and a man is that a man has a sense of responsibility and he has a sense of service to others. A boy is in his own world and a boy is 
still figuring things out for himself. A man has, it might still be figuring things out, but it's connected to service and it's connected to others in a much more intimate and serious way. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this. What kind of boy were you? That's a great question. Oh, I was a very worried boy. I was very mm-hmm. obsessive and very anxious and very frantic about life. Mm-hmm. Always trying to figure it out and always worrying about how things were going to go in the future. Mm-hmm. I wasn't in the present moment. And it was fear is usually associated with like money and sex and career. Mm-hmm. A lot of the same things that every guy out there <laughs> is fearful of. And I can relate to that a lot. I know growing up as a boy without having really clear conversations with my father or an older male figure around money, sex, career, making a life for yourself. I was looking outside towards influences on TV and celebrities and media because those those seemed to be the only resources that actually wanted to say something about it to me, even if they weren't speaking directly to me. And so I don't know if this is your experience too, but just those influences that made it seem like such a unsafe, uncomfortable world out there and that the risks were so high, especially when it comes to sex and attracting a partner and making a lot of money. Those are just, when I look back on it now, they just seem like ridiculous things to be paying attention to. But I don't know, as a boy, how did did that influence you? Yeah, those, they definitely had an influence on me. And I think even at the time I would have said, I would say, no, they don't really like, I know these are just celebrities they are living unrealistic lives. These are just, this is the media portraying things a certain way. But deep down, I still believe that I was trying to copy them, that I had to be like them. I needed to compare myself to them. And I agree that it's, it's ridiculous to think about, but it's also interesting to see how I still do it subtly, but in a new realm, it's no longer the celebrities, rappers, athletes, and things like that. It's other men's coaches, it's personal growth leaders and things like that. So this is a big part of my manhood journey. Big part of Compass, me coming out of Compass is finding this inherent self-worth without other people and this this being inspired by others but and still having role models but with a different energy of of learning instead of copying Mm -hmm. that's a really good point man especially in that spirit of the difference between a boy and a man for me my my evolving definition of manhood is taking the mosaic of masculinity and and manly influences that we've had in our lives the best of the best and constructing this avatar that I live into. It's not any one person. I've spent a lot of my life trying to mimic certain things about men that I admired for one reason or another, for better or worse. And at this point, there's a version of a man that's not any one man that I've ever met. It's the combination of the best of the best men that I've been mentored by, that I've witnessed, men that I haven't even ever known, men that were dead before I was even born. You know, like Bruce Lee is one of those guys for me. Yeah, that's awesome. And this is a great conversation. It's one that we've talked about before on the podcast. And we dove deep into it when we did the compass, like when I did the program. Mm -hmm. And it was super powerful for me because even fictional characters have had like a major role. Like I've been a huge gamer at parts. I've been a huge movie watcher. And all those characteristics and those traits from different characters, like I can integrate them all into my being. Well, and and that's, it's interesting because I hear you say that. And there's a part of me that thinks... There's a voice out there that says, well, fictional characters are not someone or something that you should admire. But I think about it, you know, almost 
a third of the population on the planet worships one character that they never met, right? You know, we're talk, talking about Christianity, right? Like how, how many billions of people across the world worship yeah. a person that died 2,000 years ago? So it, it, to me, it's funny because it's irrelevant whether or not you actually had a close, intimate, face-to-face relationship with somebody. to But to see something in someone else that you want to embody, you want to live up to, live into, I, I think that's the definition of what part of what we do here, you know, like me- mentoring at its purest is seeing something in someone else and calling it forward. And the opposite of that is seeing something up the chain that you want to be and living into it and making it your own. I- I've said this yeah. on the podcast a lot, but it's like the perfect yeah. time to say it is that Bruce Lee quote where he talks about take in everything, witness everything, observe all of it, and then soak up what's useful, mm-hmm. discard the rest and make it your own make it uniquely your own. And that's how, that's how we pass things on for generations and generations. And that right there is the definition of what we call the work. <laughs> and it sounds so simple to do, but how often have I been like, yeah, yeah, let's do that. And then a month or two goes by. And it's like, when's the last time I sat down and really did that exercise that you just went through about mm-hmm. what's not mine and what's mine? What am I calling in? What people am, am in my life am I emulating positively and which ones am I taking on kind of not so great characteristics? Mm-hmm. And that's why for me, doing workshops, doing programs, working with coaches has been massive because on my own, I'm probably gonna forget about this stuff and just kind of go about life. Whereas when I'm in these containers, it's a reminder and they were doing it together and then I actually like follow through with it. Right. Uh, well, it's- common sense if you want to get better at playing basketball you got to play basketball every week (laughs) you got got to show up at the y on saturday morning especially on days where you don't want to and get your reps in and so i'm glad you went here because this is the work right the work men's work i'm one of those guys that when i hear terms being thrown around (laughs) i just want to dismantle them completely and and simplify it because i know that people hear certain words and they're like well what the fuck is that or that ain't me because mm-hmm. I can't relate to that. Mm-hmm. So let's let's go into that. When 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 we say mm-hmm. men's work, what yeah. is the simplest way of explaining that to somebody who has no clue what that is? Hmm. That's a great question. It's definitely super up because I've learned so much from this field and I want it for other men. And that's the eternal question is how do I simplify it? To me, men's work at its core simplest is sharing what's on your heart in a container with other men, like not holding things in and expressing them and sharing and getting feedback and listening to other men as well and giving support as well. Mm. So it's really putting yourself in community in a transparent way Mm. at its its most basic form, whether it's, you don't need a program or a coach or anything. Those can be very helpful, but at its root level, you just need to be transparent with men and you need other men to also be sharing that same mission, sharing that same heart, sharing that same concept. Yeah, man. And there's a big part of me that's a scientist. I like to get in and dissect things and reduce them to their molecular parts. And looking at the practice of men's work. And a lot of times when we're creating an invitation and trying to enroll guys into joining the guys who are already in the space, we're speaking to the pain of what it was like before we had this. The pain of feeling depressed, not, not knowing where to go, dealing with suppressed anger and not knowing how to channel that or direct it, not feeling fulfilled in our jobs or our career, not being able to attract a partner, et cetera, et cetera. The, the, the buzz things that get guys attention, but then translating, well, sitting down and sharing what's actually happening as a solution for this pain that I've been dealing with for my whole life. It, it seems like there's just a huge disconnect. 
So how, how do you describe that to somebody as, as having just gotten into this space two years ago? So making, <laughs> making the connection between the problem that I've got, you know, the mm-hmm. depression, the anxiety, the fears, mm-hmm. not playing small in my life, whatever it is, mm-hmm. and how just getting into a space with guys is a solution for that. Because that's, yeah. that's on the simplest level. Obviously, there's these other components of yep. men's work and men's circles. But Yeah, there's, there's this like magical quality that happens when you share and open up like the weight that's on your heart when you share it and then you hear that other men have gone through something similar or at least share that weight, you're like, you feel a sense of camaraderie and you feel like you're not alone, which makes a huge difference. There's still other factors. There's things like commitments. There's things like education. There's things like changing your habits. There's different things like that. But like at the core forefront of it is this togetherness and this, I'm not alone in this. It's like the first, the first thing that happens when you're, when you're sharing things like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I've talked about it on a recent Monday morning episode that the the first medicine of man is relatability, being able to see in each other's experiences that that thing you just shared is the thing that's been plaguing me for decades in my life. And I would have no idea that there are other men who are going through these same challenges unless I open my mouth. Because there is that culture of, especially the masculine male culture of keep it down, keep it inside, don't let it come out to the surface because it'll be perceived as weakness, it'll be a perceived vulnerability, something that people will come at you for, make fun of you of, that we probably learned when we were kids because that's what kids do is they point out the peculiar things that stand out that are strange that are awkward or unique about people oftentimes in a teasing traumatic fashion right that's what I've seen the most and the greatest impact I've had that, that it's had on me is every time that I get to share something that's challenging and hear at least one and usually almost every guy say yeah me too <laughs> like, like really me too I, mm-hmm. I get it I get it you know yeah cool if I share some some insights around that area yeah yeah because that right there is what hooked me on men's work from like my first experience sitting on a call on a group call when I did the man cave program with Jetty and Preston and a bunch of other badass coaches specifically for me the area was with sexuality and with gender I can dive into the whole story but I'll, I'll do the brief one right here is that was always not okay with me to be this more effeminate man or to be even like questioning my identity and then on the very first introduction into this space, I heard so many of the same feelings, but we all thought we were alone in that feeling. And then just hearing that just rocked my world. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think after now sitting in tons of workshops and sitting with men in all sorts of different settings, this like shame around male to male intimacy or attraction to males or even maybe being attracted to males, like that is such a huge specific area that I feel is keeping so many men in a lot of pain and suffering. And it doesn't get talked about frequently because it's kind of a weird subject, you know? Mm -hmm. I don't even want to talk about it right now. So I'm talking about kind of, you know what I mean? It's like this... And not every man will know about it or Mm. not every man will even experience that. And it doesn't always even make sense. A lot of times, some of this is in like early childhood, men will have experience with another man or a neighbor or something like that. Or in my case, it was this like perceived attraction to men, which Mm -hmm. does, well, what do you mean by that? Well, right. It doesn't make sense. But in my, I was feeling like I might be attracted to men and that was fucking confusing. That was a head trip Mm -hmm. (laughs) being fully hetero. And then like, 
questioning it was just like even the act of questioning was just so there was just so many so many layers of shame being I was feeling layers of shame from the collective, which really was just what I thought was other people's opinions. Cause I wouldn't share any of this with the public, but I still just like, was like, oh, what if they knew, what would they say? What would they say? Others' opinions, not even them stating the opinions, but the perception of others' opinions was just like creating this huge shame whirlwind in my head. And I see it from other men too, which is why I'm talking about it. I wouldn't be talking about it if mm-hmm. I didn't think it was a value. Yeah, a hundred percent. I, I going all the way back to the discomfort of even just talking about that. I went to an all boys Catholic high school. I mean, every other word that came out to each other was faggot, homo, no homo, like, like just just using the terminology yeah. as a way of creating a hierarchy is really what it was. And I think about I, I don't know if guys who are listening ever read the book Lord of the Flies, where it's you know it's those those boys that are you know, wrecked on an island and they, they start to organize and govern themselves and go into their wildness. And, and then even the lost boys, my son's into Peter Pan right now. So revisiting the story of Peter Pan and the lost boys, to me, that's the difference between uninitiated boys and initiated men is that uninitiated boys look for the differences and the peculiarities in each other and expose them as though they're something bad or negative for lack of better terminology. Whereas initiated men know to celebrate the differences in each other, that the the differences that we have, the different perspectives, the different beliefs, the different desires and pursuits in life collectively allow us to do more and achieve more together. Whereas something about boys and being insecure, looking for more of a commonality to thrive from, whereas men recognize each other's differences and celebrate them because we know that diversity is a strength. Even in the natural world, the animal kingdom, diverse genetic material makes you more robust. Yeah. So there's something to it. Yeah, for sure. Everything you're saying is so relevant and so true right now. So what you just said right there is why men's work has been so influential for me because I've been living amongst boys. So of course my difference is I've been feeling like these hostile feeling coming from them mm-hmm. and being just in men's work. Like even if you're, even when I'm not fully living aligned and like being a badass in life, even if I'm not working out or eating healthy, just being in this environment of men who are seeing me in my truth and are seeing my differences and seeing my quote unquote weaknesses and loving me even more. That right there is men's work. That, mm-hmm. that right there is community. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. Men's work is just a word, like, like we talked about earlier. That right there is the most important thing about personal growth mm-hmm. to me, is one of the most important, the environment and who's, who you're with. And going back just a couple steps back to what you were sharing too about those, those things that are uncomfortable for a lot of men to talk about, those questions about sexuality, those, even, even if it was an experience that brought something into question or even just something someone said that we made to be true at a point in our lives and never let go of it. Those, those thoughts create so much unnecessary blockages. Uh, just, just the perceptions or the idea that that may be true and how quickly they can become dismantled when it's just vocalized and, and literally just saying it out loud, especially when it's said out loud in a circle or a space where there's other men, where undoubtedly there's going to be at least a few men in the room that can share that same experience. You know, you and I both at this point have been in so many different circles, spaces, rooms, environments where a guy shares that he questions his sexuality. Probably one of the hardest things for a guy to say in front of other guys. 
questioning sexuality or or being a homosexual gay person or having had an experience you know with a transsexual like all of these things that seem so taboo and strange and awkward as soon as they're said it's like yeah me too over here like i actually had that experience it's not who i am but i had that experience you know yeah exactly exactly that was just verbalized exactly what i was thinking so let's use, i mean let's use that as a as a transition <laughs> yeah, point sure. so this is talking about your entry into the space of men's work and we're we're doing our best to dismantle some of the beliefs or the ideas that people who are still sitting on the outside have because you know the mission of the rising man is to bring every man towards the fire to call every man into his truth to own who he is and to stand in the circle with other men and i'm wondering because now we brought the word initiation to the table and i want to start leading towards talking about compass what were your ideas of initiation rites of passage what it takes to become a man before you found what you found in the past couple of years. Yeah, I think I had a vague notion of some sort of ancient tribal rite of passage being really meaningful and maybe going out and hunting or like spending time on a mountain by yourself in an ice storm or I had some lofty concept of it, but I don't really think it was much on my radar. I was kind of just in the quote-unquote normal person view, capitalistic view. I'm going to go to college. I'm going to become an accountant. I'm going to make money. There wasn't really a sense of manhood or any of that. I think, I think I'm more tied manhood to money, to having a wife. Yeah, fitting in. Yeah, the mortgage, 2.5 kids, two cars in the driveway, you know, beach house type deal. Yeah, yeah, which I think a lot of people can relate to. I mean, it's growing up on the East. We're both East Coasters. That's a very, I think, a very East Coast mentality. You know, that there's still that old school immigrant blue collar mentality of just, you know, grind and hustle and then enjoy it 30 years later. A little bit different here on the West Coast, but generally speaking, I think there's still a lot of those sentiments in this version of masculinity, malehood, or manhood and maleness. So when did that, when did that start to shift for you? And when did you start to look at this a bit differently, stepping fully into manhood? Yeah, I started my spiritual growth journey around 22, went to Peru, did ayahuasca. From there, I just kept opening up more books, one-on-one coaching, workshops, just kept kind of growing little by little. And I reached the point of this really unsettling feeling about what what is what does it mean to be a man? What is masculinity? And who am I? How do I fit into this? I feel different. I feel outside of this whole man thing. I know I'm attracted to women. I know I'm a male biologically, but like I don't really get this whole thing. I feel like I'm outside of it. I'm an alien or something like that. And I started having conversations with this about other men and eventually a book called, I think, Fire in the Belly, I think mm-hmm. Sam Keen. Mm-hmm. And he really talked about rites of passage and initiations. And then I was like, oh, fuck, like this was something in my upbringing that was there for humanity for a really long time. And he does a really good job in the book of kind of breaking it down, how this breakdown of males in society has led to all these problems in culture in our society in our country and that's when i realized okay i need to i need to investigate this further there's something there for me Mm. i hadn't thought about this before but i'm thinking back myself to the same question because i'm descendant of my my father's japanese and, and his ancestry and my mom is Italian and some Middle Eastern mixed in there and her ancestry and I'm second and third generation from both of those two families here in the States. And so there's most of the culture that is followed through the, the, the family lines from those countries is food 
<laughs> some of the some of the holidays, a f- couple of the rituals, a little bit of language, but very little at this point. And beyond that, it, there's not much. I, I know more about Japanese culture because of what I've seen in movies and what I've learned about in my own research than I learned from my own family. And so recently, this examination of how many of us have been severed from culture because of immigration, moving from one country to another, and the belief that our families, our ancestors needed to assimilate in order to survive in a new land, how much of that was lost. Because I believe if you go back far enough that there are initiatory rites of passage, rituals, ceremonies in every culture and faith, in one form or fashion or in another. It may not always incorporate some massive ordeal going out into the wilderness, etc. But I do believe that there were, and and probably still are in some of these cultures, rites of passage that just didn't make their way over here because there were different priorities that our ancestors had. I, one of the things I wish is that I could have had a conversation with my grandfather. He died when I was five. And my great-grandparents, you know, they, they'd passed away when I was a, a child also, or even before I was born. Just to know what what were the missing pieces, because I feel like there's there's missing links. And when I finally started to hear about other cultures and faiths that had initiations and rites of passages, I heard about Vision Quest for the first time, and some of these other walkabout down for, for the Aboriginal people down in Australia. It illuminated something in me. It lit a fire in me and, and a, a grief, to be honest, that I didn't have that and that I didn't know that and that maybe I would live my whole life without knowing that. There was there was a, a, a genuine grief and pain there. And it wasn't until I realized that there are communities out there that still offer this that grief started to become resolved. Because I, I thought that I would go my whole life without ever being able to go and fast in the wilderness and to, to, to pray for a vision and to receive clarity around my purpose. So I'm connecting to it in this conversation now because I I imagine that there's a lot of other folks out there that think that they're not entitled to that. They can't access that because they weren't born into it. Yeah, for sure. There was a sense for me as well of like missing the boat Mm -hmm. to some extent or that just society had kind of fucked me over and now I'm not going to get to experience this, the sense of loss from my Eastern European ancestors, like mostly Poland and things like that. My mind goes there too. Like what was the land like there? Like what were their rites of passage? And it's almost like, I don't think I'll ever get to know. Mm. There is a certain sense of sadness, but there also is like extreme optimism because by reading this book and following my intuition and just one contact after another, one friend, one one message, one book, I found you. I found Man Cave. I mm-hmm. found people who are connected to cultures who have kept these ways alive and are bringing them back. Mm-hmm. So now I'm in this awesome, inspiring, positive place of getting to play with okay, I'm going to learn Native American things. I'm going to learn South American traditions. But I'm also still connected to Poland. I'm also still connected to whatever white America means, whatever that is. I'm still connected to like traditional male Americanism. So like, how do I, now I get to be kind of like a wizard and I get to play and create a new culture. Yeah. So I, I definitely feel the sadness and over time it shifted into, okay, now what? And that's where we are. Yeah, and I have a lot of guys recently asking me this question, asking me, how do I reconnect with my culture? How do I how do I connect with my ancestors? I feel a deep desire to connect with my ancestry and I don't know any of them. And the first place I tell them to go is, well, do you have any living ancestors? Do you have your mother, your father, your any grandparents, any aunties or uncles who can give you some raw materials to work with? Not even paint the full picture. If, I mean, maybe you'll get lucky, but from what I've found, a couple generations behind you that even they don't know. Like my dad really doesn't know much. You know, I, I probably know just as much as he does. And to just 
be in the inquiry first of the, of what's around you. And I, even to the person who's adopted that never got to know their parents, there's still a way to access that. You know, there's, there's DNA tests now that tell you at least with, with pretty good specificity of where your DNA material comes from. So even just knowing that, then you can, you know, go on the internet learn, learn something about your country, take, take your body back to your country, return your DNA back to where some of it came from and put yourself in that place. Now, this is where it goes a little bit into the abstract, hard to describe some more of that more of the feminine mythical component because I love that side. I know you do. So let's, <laughs> let's open it up. Cause I know you're also, you're, you have a lot to contribute in that space because this is the part where by simply putting yourself in a position where you're asking these questions, you're thinking about your ancestors, you're looking at photos of relatives that passed on years ago. You're going to the country from which your family came perhaps for the first time. And you can feel something cellular in you. There will be wisdom that is activated in you just by putting yourself in a different environment, in a different mindset. It's, it might sound like magic, but it's my experience has been when I've spoken to from other people and their experiences that there's, it's inexplicable. It just, it just sort of happens. And there's, I think that there's an intelligence in the DNA that we still have no way to measure or define that gets activated when put back in its proper environment. Yeah, I couldn't agree more with everything you said. There's so many components to that. I'll start with one that comes up is we're also connected to the land with which we personally are born as well. The ancestor stuff is also there, but even if we're totally disconnected, it's wherever we were born or even, or even wherever we spent time, mm-hmm. wherever we were raised. Something, a good friend of mine, Bridget Nielsen, she's super spiritual, super super tapped in. Mm-hmm. And she talks, she does a lot of ancestry work as well. So I've done it from both like the more masculine perspective with you and the Man Cave guys and CMB and also with her. And she's received this message that in the time and space that we're in with all of humanity's issues and problems, we can actually learn from any tradition, like any sort of, oh, you need to have this DNA to learn from the Navajo or the this group or that group. Like all that's been waived. We're at a point in humanity where that is no longer a thing, where you need to worry about where your DNA actually is. It's very likely that you're going to be called to something where your DNA is, but you don't need to be forced into that. It might be more of a soul connection somewhere or it might be something that no one understands, but... I think that's important to note. Cultural appropriation comes up some a lot of the times in this mm-hmm. in these conversations where even for me it's like I don't know if I oh should I go to this Native American thing? That's not really me. I'm from like Poland and it's like no. If I feel like there's something for me to learn there and I can give, then I'm I'm going. Mhm. Yeah, and I was having a conversation. I think it was with Tony Moss, which was many episodes ago now. And we were talking about cultural appropriation, right? Because uh, it makes me think of the National Geographic cover that came out a couple of years ago. Of the, it said, I think the title was The New America. And it was 30 different profile pictures of men, women, children, boys, girls. And every single one of them, you could tell very clearly, was a mixed ethnic background. And they all looked completely different. And all of them were American citizens. Mm-hmm. And so another few generations from now, almost the majority of the, of the natural world of human race is going to be mixed. And so when the word cultural appropriation comes up, I think that there's still a lot of trauma for cultures that had their, that wanted to share 
their culture and traditions and had a very negative experience. You know, we're talking genocide, we're talking ethnic cleansing, that the big time stuff that very rightfully so has put people in a very protective place. What I've discovered, because I'm not Native American, I'm not in, in, uh, indigenous to the Americas by my DNA, is that to enter those circles with a, with a degree of reverence, a high level respect for the tradition as it exists, recognizing that this wisdom, the wisdom and technologies of these cultures is thousands and thousands and thousands of years old. And also just a genuine curiosity and willingness to learn, not to enter with a sense of entitlement or needing to know something or wanting to take something over, going to Peru because you want to become a shaman. It's like, there's a way that you can walk into those spaces and people who aren't as traumatized by those histories of you know genocide and cleansing, et cetera, are so generous and willing with their wisdom and information because they know that it's not theirs. It's, it's, it's of the earth. It's here for the people. It's all people. So I think that it's an important conversation because having respect and reverence for it and not taking it and claiming it just because we can, that's, I think that's a very Western manifest destiny type of mentality, colonial mentality. Mm-hmm. But for me, it always comes down to those things, reverence and curiosity. So For sure, 100%. Leading with those is going to lead you to the right people who are going to be open to sharing. Because, of course, everything I said before was a little general. So for sure, when you come with that right heart, the path will open for you Mm -hmm. in whatever avenue, whatever tradition. Beautiful. And going back to culture, because we were talking about culture and connecting with culture, a lot of people who feel a disconnect to culture. I think that's one of the major plagues of our society in this time. There is that opportunity, like you said, to create new culture. And that's what I view the rising man as, is we're taking the best of what we've experienced, absorbing it and and creating an entirely new culture for men, for how we want to be, for how we want to operate. We're not claiming that this is the one way, the one true way that all men need to be. This is a, a culture we're creating for men who feel called to it. And the way that we do that is by reinvigorating, reanimating a lot of these ancient rites of passages, these these initiatory practices, sitting in circle and council as men around a fire, going out into the wilderness and putting our DNA in situations where we can activate some of that dormant, uh, those dormant abilities, that dormant wisdom that we have together and create something entirely new that we'll pass on to our kids. You know, I, I sit up in medicine ceremony regularly and I didn't do that until I was 28, 29 years old for the first time. And my son was sitting up in his first ceremony when he was seven months old, maybe, maybe 10 months old, but baby, since he was a kid. And so that's all he's ever going to know. And so that's, we, we can recreate culture even in just one generation. I think that's the opportunity that we have here and what we're, what we're up to. Yeah. You know, it just, you saying that just brings back so many memories of like where I was, let's say like four or five years ago, or even three years ago with, before I knew about you or these, these circles of men. And there's just such like this amazing, awesome, badass, empowering feeling when we're in circles and we're like making fire together. We're like chopping wood. We do things out in nature. We like cross a stream bed and we've built a teepee. There's like all these these really sacred and natural activities we've done together. And they just they just have this certain quality that's so, I don't know, masculine, so ancient. And mm-hmm. it's been super empowering for me to have that in my life. And mm-hmm. I think it can, I can maybe even take it for granted if I don't think about it and talk about it. It's like, oh yeah, you know, I didn't really have that before. I didn't really spend that much time outside. Mm-hmm. I knew some ceremonies. It was always in a plant medicine context, which is a beautiful, wonderful context. But with you, I've also sat in all these ceremonies where it's just a drum, a rattle. We do sweats. You don't even need that, though. It's like 
the the bare minimums for a ceremony are, are just like really intention and that's really all you need usually mm-hmm. we have like some sort of offering or some sort of music but yeah so the stuff is so simple but yet my intellect and my western mind completely was overlooking it until i really looked backwards into the ancient ways mm-hmm. yeah man I, and i like to use the word simple because that's that's how i describe it. it is it's very simple there's not a lot to it you know, when you're, when you're sitting in these plant ceremonies, you sit down, the medicine comes to you and your job is to sit there and stare at that fire all night, you know, or, or, or pray or sing a song. It, it, it is, it's simple, but there's a difference between simple and easy. Mm-hmm. And speaking along the lines of back towards initiation and these rites of passage ceremonies we have like compass, there is typically, almost always, there's an ordeal involved. And the belief, as I've understood it, is that in order for a boy to give back to his community as a man, to show up as a protector and provider for others, he needed to go to the edges of his abilities. He needed to know that he could survive for days on end without food, without water, without shelter, without clothing, whatever it was, without other people, so that the normal challenges of day-to-day living and providing for people wasn't, wouldn't be an, an issue. So fast forwarding into modern society where our version of hunting is going to the grocery store, going to Trader Joe's and checking out and giving them our debit card. There's still value in electing to go through an ordeal with intention, with purpose and ceremony. And that's, that's really what Compass is. That's, that's what, we, what we have. And so uh, I wanted you to speak a little bit as someone who's gone through that for anyone out there who may be interested or curious about something like that. What is, what is the value of putting your through an ordeal like that and how's that translated into life here in the matrix let me dive into one more ordeal that i put myself through right before compass it was actually a couple months before it i was i elected to take that plunge into the unknown and i left pennsylvania which is where i was from and i drove my car across country with no real destination besides i'm going to stay somewhere sunny and not much money either and things quickly in my head spiraled down the my sense of self-worth my sense of identity the confusion ramped up and it wasn't all that fun <laughs> it, it quickly became pretty d- depressing and what really snapped me out was having my men i'm on a rising man power team so just having you guys in my corner was super important but also doing elements, which is a smaller, smaller. It's a kind of a precursor to Compass, where just the, I think it was a three-day wilderness immersion, mm-hmm. and that was so powerful. Like I walked away from that a completely different person. Hmm. I stopped smoking weed. I got a job right after. It was just this huge transformation. But I still honor myself for, like you said, electing to go into an ordeal. And this ordeal was was a little more just me. So now we fast forward a couple months after this elements and then we do compass and this was a little more intentional with the ordeal it's i'm going to be fasting by myself for four days and four nights on a mountain mm-hmm. it's gonna be cold it's gonna be boring it's gonna be lonely all my fears are gonna come up all this but it was attached to a, a ceremony and to a, a rite of passage with a, a greater intention how did that uh, translate into life when you came back the stage that we call incorporation yeah where you, whatever you received in those four days of solitude, of reflection, of introspection, prayer, ceremony, and carrying that back into the car, onto the freeway, into LA, into your life. How did you, how did you translate that? How have you made that work? And, and here we are, we're only seven months, eight months removed from that experience. So still relatively new. Yeah, I'd say 
that sense of manhood, that sense of I've got this. Yes, I have men to, to lean on and I have support, I have brothers, but leaning on myself first before I, before I get back up, that has been the biggest thing for me. I talked a little bit about it earlier as well. Always leaning on, all right, that YouTube video with that awesome coach, that awesome inspirational guy. They're still there for me, but like I've internalized so much of this. Let's lean on me. Let's, let's, let's trust in my own backbone. Let's trust in my own intuition. Let's trust in my own medicine. Mm. That's something I learned up on the mountain. That's something I learned in the reflections coming out of the ceremony. Mm. And that has been what's been the greatest gift for my integration into the real world. Mm, yeah, I can I can really resonate with that myself, <laughs> even in a slightly humorous way. When I when I go out for the day for a day of work and I forget to bring my lunch, and then yeah, I'm like, all right, well I'll be all right. And then six hours later, before you know, I'm still four hours till dinner time. I'm like, oh, I'm starting to get hungry. And then I remember, I went four days and four nights without mm-hmm. eating anything. <laughs> like I can do this, you yeah. know. And and I stayed up all night. multiple nights in a row you know like I I could do I could do this I can send this email I can have this uncomfortable conversation with somebody that I need to it makes a lot of the ordinary or it makes a lot of the big challenges seemingly big challenges in life much more ordinary yeah for sure and I can also going off that I can also think to myself sometimes that I'm not taking this seriously I'm not taking life seriously my vision I'm not committed enough you know this sort of downward spiral and then I'm like you know what I took I took time off work I took a quote-unquote vacation and I spent money to go fast on a mountain alone but why did I do that I did that in dedication to to service Mm. to receiving a vision not just for me for my people for the people of earth Mm. that's how committed I am so yeah I'll question my commitment to my my process but I bring myself back to there and it's like no I am I am committed. Mm. I've proved it and I will continue to prove it. It's not over, but yeah, it's just, it's just a wonderful recall. Me sitting up there on the, on this, I'm thinking of a specific ridge where I, where I, I spent a lot of my time just kind of with this incredible view. It's just, yeah, it's amazing. And also had the pleasure of going out and supporting the brothers who fasted on this most recent edition too. So I got to go back there again and just sort of like bask in that, in that feeling of this is me here. I am world. I'm committed. I'm serious. I'm a man. I can do this. Mm. I just went back there and screamed and sat and listened and laughed. And yeah, it's beautiful and such a, such a unique opportunity, such a unique set of circumstances. You know, I don't hear about too many guys talking about that, but I think as, as time goes, I think more and more men are going to be called to this, this line of inquiry, this line of experience. Mm. Hmm. Yeah. Because as amazing as plant medicines are, workshops, retreats, all that. There's just so something super special about minimalism. You, nature, water, some some supplies. Mm-hmm. Like that's it. Hmm. You know, it's just like you and spirit. There, there's like there's other tools which can be amazing. They can quickly become crutches. And and I use a ton of tools, so I'm not trying to bash them. But there's something really special about the minimalistic approach of of a vision fast. Yeah. And that's my experience too, man, is that as soon as you strip away a lot of these things that don't typically seem like distractions, but once you don't have them, you realize how much they are. The distraction of the phone, the distraction of conversation with people, food, the presence of other people, even if it's silent presence, just really being alone by yourself with water and your natural setting and a sleeping bag, period. There's so much more to see when there's not as much for the brain to process on a very 
you know, biological level. When we're not taking in as much information, we can spend a lot more energy going looking at the stuff that's actually there. That's there all along. It's there when you're driving your car down the 405. It's just harder to access when people are cutting you off in traffic and you're, you know, an hour late to, to work because you got stuck behind an accident or something like that. And, you know, the other piece of it for me, and this might sound contradictory to a lot of the things that I say here on the show, is that there's a real value to knowing that you can do something by yourself, that you can survive something on your own. You know, the, the vision of The Rising Man is that we don't have to. We can choose to be together. We can choose to do life together with support from other men who get it, with accountability, being called on our bullshit, being hugged and loved up when we need it, when we're really hurt, when we're really down. But to also know that you can survive. Because when you really think about it, when your parents die and people who have taken care of you as a child, when they're gone, there is that sense of, wow, I, I am alone here. When you're, when you're the primary provider for a family and your wife and your children are depending on you, it's like, I, it is up to me, largely. It doesn't have to be, but there is, there's moments in every day. You know, you can't be around people. You can't be in your men's circle 24-7. So it's, it's almost contradictory, but there is that element of knowing that you, you do got this. And you can go back to the well whenever you need the, the the well of your men's circle or the well of spirit and the the medicine space where you went and fasted. Yeah, that right. That is where I'm at in my journey. Is first two years of this men's work has been being seen, being heard, showing up. Now it's hey, they're still there for you, but go fight your own battle. Go lead. Mm-hmm. You go lead now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're always going to be there and I'm going to go back from time to time. But the next, the next passage for me is yeah, leading Mm -hmm. and it's super difficult, but I love it. Yeah. I had an experience out on the mountain that really hit home with this sense of manhood. The place where we have been going is fairly treacherous, (laughs) like to, to the human rational brain. It's like, we're not doing this like on a mountain with like a, a park ranger, like watching like with binoculars. We have safety measures for sure, but it's still like nature in the in the southwest or west coast. Like you're out there. We're people, out there. People have died out there where we're at. You know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So you know, there is that like actual life or death, not just metaphorically speaking, like actual physical death is kind of like <laughs> there with you as well. Mm-hmm. And every guy who I talk to that was a a theme for them as well. So there was a night, I think it was my second night or my first night up there. I chose a spot that was quite up on the mountain. It was not very flat. It was just kind of a little alcove. And I thought it was a really cool little spot for me. Anyway, I'm I'm falling asleep. It's around dusk and I hear a noise and I kind of look up and I think that I just kind of kicked my, my flashlight. So I put my head back and I hear this I hear this rattle and I put my head up and I shine my light and about three feet from my sleeping bag is a rattlesnake and I'm in a mummy bag. I don't have shoes on, I don't have anything on and there's a rattlesnake rattling at me three feet away. I thought that they don't do that unless they're threatened, unless you startle them, unless you're hunting them, unless you're hiking and, you know, try and mess with them. And here it is like right close to me and I'm kind of freaking out in the inside, but also there's this, there's this mode in me that came over of like just really rational really like it was really actually kind of peaceful in the moment of like I want to say peaceful it was actually clear headed and I just slowly very slowly backed up inch by inch put my shoes on backed up he kind of came out kept coming towards me which I don't understand (laughs) kept coming towards me was checking out my stuff by this point I had my shoes on just kept backing up slowly but I also don't have that much 
nowhere to go really. Long story short, it was this sort of standoffish, sort of slow moving communication with this rattlesnake with me on the mountain. Like, is this his home? Is he coming in? Is he trying to get me? Is, <laughs> should I, do I need to move my spot? Like what's yeah. happening here? Like if I get bit, I don't know what's going to happen. You know, I don't, and they're not directly going to kill me, but I'm going to have to be like transferred to hospital. All this is going on in the back of my head. Anyway, it was all good. It didn't, didn't attack me or anything like that. So I kind of wrote it off as just like a, a little occurrence with nature, kind of like a little like, oh, that just happened. Like that was a thing, blah, blah, blah. And in the reflections, after I come back and I start talking about it and I start receiving more metaphorical, more mystical interpretations, or not even mystical, just different interpretations of it. I learned a lot about myself in, the, in that moment. I learned a lot about how the snake carries himself and I learned how to relate with nature. I learned how to relate relate with my my fears. That, that was really what it was. How do I relate to fear? And I was a badass in the moment. I did everything respectfully. I did everything safely. I did everything bravely. And it was so and it was so funny to, that in the immediate aftermath, I didn't even recognize that myself. But in the end, I was able to see those qualities of like, wow, like that was intense and crazy. And I showed up like a boss and. <laughs> I remember hearing that story and just th- just thinking, I mean, because I've had encounters with rattlesnakes and there's definitely that element of, wow, this could go, this could get really serious very quickly. That's the cool thing. And I, I think back to what some guys have asked me when I'm, you know, they're, they're interested in compass and they're sharing some of their fears or apprehensions with me. One conversation I had with a guy was, I'm not afraid about being out there for four days. I'm not afraid of fasting. I'm not afraid of being alone. I'm afraid of what I might get. Hmm. And by by saying that, he also meant what I might not get. Because like you said, to engage in this process is a dedication of many different things. Finances, resources, time, energy, walking into your fears. And I thought it was such a great question. And he's, and I said, I even said to him, I said, that's that's such an, a wonderful thing to own. And the, the great thing about it is as, as your guide, as the guy that you're trusting to lead you out there to the threshold, I don't have an answer to that. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you. And I wouldn't even try. I wouldn't even try to venture what you may get out there because there's no way I could have told you that you would encounter a rattlesnake and that also you would be able to reflect on that probably for the rest of your life and really learn what that snake taught, had to teach you and mm-hmm. what it reflected back to you about your life. That's, that's the beauty of this process that it's almost inexplicable. It's, it's, it's experiential. You have to really have your experience to glean the medicine and gifts from being out there in that space. And that's why it's, that's why it's so hard to explain. And I'm, I'm glad <laughs> that you brought some of your story into it yeah. because it's a very real example. All of us who've done this, who have fasted and gone out there for four days, we have something we have a story that is medicine. It's a gift that we brought back and it's our, our duty and our obligation to give that gift in our lives now. That, 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 that about sums it up. Yeah, for sure. And even that rattlesnake story I just told is really only one fifth of it. That was kind of just mm-hmm. the physical and the brief version of it. I actually have the self-chosen name of Rattlesnake Speaks from that encounter and from the whole Compass experience. Because in that story I just told, there was also, it lasted for like 15 minutes and there was subtle communications of body language and and rattling and other things going on that I don't need to get into here because it's kind of long-winded. But I learned so much and I received a gift from that encounter. Well, thank you for sharing that, man, because 
as a sacred part of your story and your experience. And I appreciate having you here. To, this is this is part of you giving your medicine. This is part of your incorporation is, is giving your medicine and sharing your gift. Because who knows? Who knows who's listening to this right now who has been inspired to dedicate themselves to that type of ordeal, to take that plunge, to step forward because of something that you said. Even just in this dialogue, we're, we're doing our, our job, we're doing our mission to create this culture. So thank you for doing that. And I thought that you know, before we start to bring this all to a close, what is the, what's the biggest way that your life has changed since you came back across that threshold on the fifth day after fasting alone, after speaking with a rattlesnake? What's the biggest way that your life has changed? How about if I ask it this way, what's different about you on the other side mm-hmm. of the threshold? biggest change in me is that I have a new identity and a new avatar to step into. And that is Rattlesnake Speaks. That is the Julian who is up on that mountain screaming. I now have that energy and that confidence of knowing my highest expression and what I'm capable of doing. Before there was a sense of it, but now I have a much more visceral feeling of it. I have a name that's pretty edgy for me to like call myself that, which I do. It's my Instagram handle now, and I'm kind of like playing with how to incorporate that into my life, to the way I speak, into the way I hold myself. And just meditating or just sitting with that feeling of being up on the mountain and that confidence, that's always me. That's me. That's not me on the mountain. I have that experience to recall it, but I have that confidence with me always. Hmm. I just have to call on it. I just have to believe in it. I just have to declare it for myself, and it's there. Awesome, man. It's awesome to see. I mean, we've known each other for almost two years now. I pretty much met you at the very beginning of this, of your men's work journey. And it's really cool to, to be sitting across from you at this table, just thinking all the way back to that first encounter that we had on, on a Zoom call. And here we are, you know, we're, you're sitting in my garage studio office and we're talking about rites of passage. So it's pretty, pretty brilliant, man, just to take a step back and acknowledge that. Thanks, Jetty. I mean, yeah, you've been there for each step of the journey for me. Even my writing skills, doing work for the Rise of Man podcast, Elements, Compass, Man Cave, one-on-one, the power team. You let me stay at your, your place while you were on vacation and I was basically homeless. <laughs> I, I just, I can't express it, you know? It's this brotherhood that's, that you're, I know you're real. I know you're not preaching this because I've experienced mm-hmm. you and it's incredible. Thank mm-hmm. you so much. And along with that, it's not just you, it's your brothers as well who are a part of this movement too, mm-hmm. who have I've got to meet at least, I'd say 15 to 20 of these guests through you, some of them super well. And they have this same care towards this kind of work. It's not just trying to fill some program so they can go to Bali. Like <laughs> I'm telling you, these guys are actually living it like into their day-to-day lives. They're doing it. They're doing mm-hmm. the work. They're showing up. They have families. They have clients. They have people who are just reaching out to them. They have all sorts of people that they're touching on their day-to-day lives and they're they're doing it in a good way. Hmm. Well, I appreciate that, man. Thanks for saying that. And yeah, I always say uh, real, real recognize real. And so I feel the same way about you too, bro, and the way that you've chosen this path and walked your path so far. So let's put a bow on this, baby. Let's do our, our lightning round. What's the one thing that you've learned in your life you wish you knew when you were 18? I wish you knew peace, that it was all going to be okay, and that the things that worry you so much are super insignificant. In fact, I now think about if some of the things had happened that I thought were quote unquote wrong, if they had actually happened, how I would probably still be in almost the same exact place I'm in now. 
mm. just peace of mind in, in the path, mm. which I was severely lacking and had borderline anxiety attacks and all this crazy stuff, but it's all good. It's a, it's a, it's an interesting question, but at the, in the end, I don't let that, I don't let it bother me that I didn't have any answers then hmm. because that's, that's growth. That's learning is you have to go through a part of life where you don't have the answers. So then you can have the answers. Yeah. There's, there's so much more that we don't know and so much more that we don't know that we don't know yet. <laughs> so familiarity with the unknown, man. Yeah. And you'll figure it out. What do you think is the most important value to have as a man? I mean, the most important value is integrity. It's the spice that is the truth. It's transparent. It's it's inclusive and it's encompassing of everything to me because without it, everything kind of falls apart. To me, it's like the magical glue that makes any other quality shine. <laughs> nice, man. And where can the good folks on here find you? Aside from checking out all of your work within the Rising Man podcast, where can we go to follow the tale the saga of rattlesnake speaks yeah check me on instagram rattlesnake speaks facebook julian subic you can also check out my website it's called the vague spot you can also find that on any of the instagram or facebook so yeah just check me out there one of the best ways to find me is in the rising man fire circle mm. help hold space in that i'm really just leaning into the rising man and men's work in general so really just just tap in just start commenting jump into the facebook even the free group just the rising man group i'm there <laughs> and we can connect yeah, i'm out man. here in la as well so holler yeah man awesome thank you again for making the effort to be here to share your story share your gifts and you know everybody probably knows your name by now if they listen to the episodes and the acknowledgements but since you're here there is so much that so many people out there have no idea that you've done to make these podcasts possible, including when you were on the road and parked outside of Starbucks at midnight trying to upload an episode with <laughs> some shitty Wi-Fi from inside of your car, freezing your butt off, man. You Ever since you signed up to help out and give your time freely, literally freely to support this mission and this vision, you've been a stalwart. And the only reason that people can listen to this podcast every week is because you have a part in that. So in still a very small acknowledgement of how much you've done, thank you. Thank you for being you and thank you for breathing life into the rising man. Thank you, Jetty. I appreciate that, brother. I really enjoyed having this sit down episode with Julian. This is one of just a handful I've actually done face to face in the presence of another man. And I've known Julian for a couple of years now and it's been great to witness his journey. I think his journey really represents that which every one of us men can relate to. I bring a lot of high powered guests onto this show, a lot of men who have already achieved and created so much in their lives. And I think personally, it's refreshing to have a man on this show who's still in the midst of creation and discovery for exactly how he wants to impact and influence people in this world. And Julian is a man of high caliber, high character, and just to capture his story and to share it with everybody here and for him to express the rawness of his of his journey, including stepping into men's work and stepping out into a vision fast experience, I think was really valuable for everybody to hear. So I enjoyed it. I got to sit down with my brother and to just jam for a while. I hope you guys enjoyed it too. I hope that his message inspires you to take your next step along the journey of becoming the man that you want to be. So maybe that's signing up for our Rising Man Fire Circles. Maybe that's stepping out and coming joining us on 
the rite of passage called Compass in the Spring. Whatever it may be, all the information for every opportunity we have is over at risingman.org, including the show notes for links and resources to this episode and every single one that you guys have heard in recent memory, all because of my man Julian Subic. He's the one who takes care of all that. So big love to this man doing the notes and the links and resources for his own episode. That's amazing. As always, please subscribe and follow us wherever you're listening to the podcast. Leave a review, a comment with your biggest takeaways, insights, and reflections from each episode wherever you're listening to us. You can always drop your comments over at risingman.org if that's what you prefer. Check us out on Instagram at risingmanmovement and our newly minted YouTube channel. The link will be in the show notes for now. You can always do a search for the Rising Man Movement. But help us get to our first 100 subscribers and then we can just send you to a custom YouTube link. So if you guys haven't subscribed to the YouTube channel already, if you're not already checking out these amazing video segments we're doing in conjunction with our Monday morning meditations, then go check it out right now. All right. Shout out to the other three quarters of my Rising Man Power team, Sean Offenbach, Rowan Tyne, and Mark Rose. I love y'all fellas. Love everything that you're doing. Here we go. 2020. Let's get it. Until next time, rise up and claim your destiny.